0: Story 4 of Cape Cod Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David Wales. Cape Cod Stories by Joseph C. Lincoln. Story 4 The Dog Star. It commenced the day after we took Old Man Stumpton out cod fishing. Me and Captain Jonadab both told Peter T. Brown that Cod wa'n't biting much at that season, but he said Cod be jiggered. What's troubling me just now is landin' suckers, he says. So the four of us got into the Patience M, she's Jonadab's cat-boat, and sought sail for the crab-ledge. And we hadn't more'n got our lines over the side than we struck into a school of dogfish now if you know anything about fishing you know that when the dogfish strike on it's good-bye cod so when stumpton hauled a big fat one over the rail i could tell that jonadab was ready to swear but do you think it disturbs your friend peter t brown no sir he never winked an eye by jove he sings out staring at that dogfish as if it was a gold dollar by Jove, says he, that's the finest specimen of a Labrador mackerel ever I see. Bait up, Stump, and go at em again. So Stumpton, having lived in Montana ever since he was five years old, and not having sighted salt water in all that time, he don't know but what there is such critters as Labrador mackerel, and he goes at him hammering tongs. When we come ashore, we had eighteen dogfish, four sculpin', and a skate, and Stumpton was the happiest loon in Ostable County. It was all we could do to keep him from cookin' one of them mackerel with his own hands. If Jonadab hadn't steered him out of the way while I sneaked down to the port and bought a bass, we'd have had to eat dogfish. We would, as sure as I'm a foot high. Stumpton and his daughter Maudina was at the old home-house. Twas late in September, and the boarders had cleared out. Old Dillaway, Peter's father-in-law, had decoyed the pair on from Montana, because him and some Wall Street sharks were figuring on buying some copper country out that way that Stumpton owned. Then Dillaway was took sick, and Peter, who was just back from his wedding-tower, Brought the Montana victims down to the Cape with the excuse to give em a good time along shore, but really to keep em safe and out of the way till Ebenezer got well enough to finish robbing em. Bell, Peter's wife, stayed behind to look after Papa. Stumpton was a great tall man, narrer in the beam, and with a figurehead like a hen hawk. He enjoyed himself here at the Cape. He fished and loafed and shot at a mark he sartin'ly could shoot. The only thing he was wishin' for was somethin' alive to shoot at, and Brown had promised to take him out duck shootin'. Twas too early for ducks, but that didn't worry Peter any. He'd a had ducks to shoot at if he bought all the poultry in the township. Maudina was like her name, pretty, but sort of soft and mushy. She had big blue eyes and a baby face, and her principal cargo was poetry. She had a deckload of it, and she'd heave it overboard every time the wind changed. She was forever orderin' the ocean to roll on, but she didn't mean it. I had her out sailin' once when the bay was a little mite rugged, and I know. She was just out of a convent school, and you could see she wasn't used to most things, including men. The first week slipped along, and everything was serene bulletins from ebenezer were encouraging every day and no squalls in sight but twas almost too slick i was afraid the calm was a weather-breeder and sure enough the hurricane struck us the day after that fishing trip peter had gone driving with Maudina and her dad and me and captain jonadab was smoking on the front piazza I was pulling at a pipe, but the captain had the home end of one of Stumpton's cigars harpooned on the little blade of his jackknife, and was busy pumpin' the last drop of comfort out of it. I never see a man who wanted to get his money's worth more Jonadab. I give you my word, I expected to see him swallow that cigar remnant every minute. And all to once he gives a gurgle in his throat. Take a drink of water, says I, scared like. "'Well, by time,' says he, pointing. "'A feller had just turned the corner of the house "'and was heading up in our direction. "'He was a thin, lengthy craft, "'with more'n the average amount of wrists sticking out of his sleeves, "'and with long black hair trimmed aft behind his ears "'and curling on the back of his neck. "'He had high cheekbones and kind of sunk-in black eyes, "'and altogether he looked like Dr. Mark Goozlem, "'the celebrated Blackfoot medicine man.' If he'd hollered, Sagwa bitters, only one dollar a bottle, I wouldn't have been surprised. But his clothes, don't say a word. His coat was long and buttoned up tight so you couldn't tell whether he had a vest on or not, though twas a safe bet he hadn't, and it and his pants was made of the loudest kind of black and white checks. No nice quiet pepper and salt, you understand, but the checkerboard kind— the oilcloth kind, the kind that looks like the marble floor in the Boston Post Office. They was pretty tolerable seedy, and so was his hat. Oh, he was a last year's bird nest now, but when them clothes was fresh, whew, the northern lights and a rainbow mix couldn't have been more a cloudy day alongside of him. He run up to the piazza like a clipper coming into port, and he sweeps off that rusty hat, and hails us grand and easy.' "'Good mornin', gentlemen,' says he. "'We don't want none,' says Jonadab, decided. The feller looked surprised. "'I beg your pardon,' says he. "'You don't want any—what?' "'We don't want any Life of King Solomon, nor the world's big classifiers, and we don't want to buy any patent paint, nor sewing-machines, nor clothes-washers, nor climbing evergreen roses, nor rheumatiz salve. "'and we don't want our pictures painted neither.' Jonadab was getting excited. Nothing riles him worse than a peddler unless it's a woman selling tickets to a church fair. The feller swelled up until I thought the top button of that thunderstorm coat would drag anchor sure. "'You are mistaken,' says he. "'I have called to see Mr. Peter Brown. He is a—a um, relative of mine.' well you could have blown me and jonadab over with a cat's paw we went on our beamed in so to speak a relation of peter t's why if he'd been twice the panorama he was we'd have let him in when he said that loud clothes we figured must run in the family we remembered how peter was dressed the first time we met him you yeah, don't say says i come right up and set down mr mr montague says the feller booth montague permit me to present my card he drove into the hatches of his checkerboards and rummaged around but he didn't find nothing but holes i jedge because he looked dreadful put out and begged our pardon five or six times dear me says he this is embarrassing i forgot my card case we told him never mind the cards any of peter's folks was more'n welcome so he come up the steps and sat down in a piazza chair like King Edward perching on his throne. Then he hove out some remarks about its being a nice morning, all in a condescending sort of way, as if he usually attended to the weather himself, but had been sort of busy lately and handed the job over to one of the crew. We told him all about Peter and Belle and Ebenezer and about Stumpton and Maudina. He was a good deal interested and asked considerable many questions pretty soon we heard a carriage rattling up the road hello says i i guess that's peter and the rest coming now mr montague got off his throne kind of sudden ahem says he is there a room here where i may uh, receive mr brown in a less public manner it will be rather um, a surprise for him and well there was a good deal of sense in that i know twould surprise me to have such an image as he was sprung on me without any notice we steered him into the gents parlour and shut the door in a minute the horse and wagon come into the yard ma Dina said she'd had a heavenly drive and unloaded some poetry concerning the music of billows and pine trees and such she and her father went up to their rooms and when the decks was clear, Jonadab and me tackled Peter T. "'Peter,' says Jonadab, "'we got a surprise for you. One of your relations has come.' Brown, he did look surprised, but he didn't act as if he was any too joyful. "'Relation of mine,' says he. "'Come off, what's his name?' "'We told him Montague, Booth Montague.' He laughed. "'Wake up and turn over,' he says they never had anything like that in my family booth montague sure twan't algin and cough drops we said no twas booth montague and that he was waitin in the gents parlor so he laughed again and said something about sending for law a lean jibby then we started the checkerboard fellow was standing up when we opened the door hello Petey," says he cool as a cucumber and sticking out a foot and a half a wrist with a hand at the end of it. Now, it takes considerable to upset Peter Theodosius Brown. Up to that time an hour, I'd have bet on him against anything short of an earthquake. But Booth Montague done it, knocked him plumb out of water. Peter actually turned white. Uh, g- great, he began, and then stopped and swallowed. Hank, he says, and sat down in a chair the same says montague waving the starboard extension of the checkerboard peetie it does me good to set my eyes on you specially now when you're the real thing brown never answered for a minute then he canted over to port and reached down into his pocket well he says how much but hank or booth or montague whatever his name was he waved his flipper disdainful no 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 no, peter my son he says smiling it ain't how much this time when i heard how you'd rung the bell the first shot out of the box and was rolling in coin i said to myself here's where the prod comes back to his own i've come to live with you Pete, and you pay the freight peter jumped out of the chair live with me he says you friday evening amateur night "'It's back to ten nights in a bar-room for yours,' he says. "'Oh, no, it not says Hank, cheerful. "'It'll be back to Popper Dillaway and Belle. "'When I tell him I'm your little cousin Henry, "'and how you and me worked the territories together, "'why, well, I guess there'll be gladness "'round the dear home-nest, eh?' Peter didn't say nothing. Then he fetched a long breath and motioned with his head to Captain Jonadab and me we see we weren't invited to the family reunion so we went out and shut the door but we did pity peter i snum if we didn't it was most an hour afore peter come out of that room when he did he took jonadab and me by the arm and led us out back of the barn Fellas, he says sad and mournful that that plaster cast in a crazy quilt he says referring to montague is a cousin of mine that's the livin truth says he and the only excuse i can make is that tain't my fault he's my cousin all right and his name's hank schmultz but the sooner you box that fact up in your forgetatory the smoother twill be for yours drearily peter t brown he's to be mr booth montague the celebrated english poet so long's he hangs out at the old home and he's to hang out here until well until i can dope out a way to get rid of him we didn't say nothing for a minute just thought then jonadab says kind of puzzled what makes you call him a poet he says peter answers pretty snappy cause there's only two or three jobs that a long-head image like him could hold down he says i'd call him a musician if he could play bedelia on a jew's harp but he can't so he's got to be a poet and a poet he was for the next week or so peter drove down to wellmouth that night and bought some respectable black clothes and the following morning when the celebrated booth montague comes sailing into the dining-room with his curls brushed back from his forehead and his new cutaway on and his wrists covered up with clean cuffs blessed if he didn't look distinguished at least that's the only word i can think of that fills the bill and he talked beautiful language not like the slang he hove a-brownin us in the gents parlor peter done the honors introducing him to us and the stumptons as a friend who come from england unexpected and hank he bowed and scraped and looked absent-minded and crazy like a poet ought to oh he done well at it you could see that twas just pie for him and twas pie for mardina too been, as I said, kinda green concerning men-folks, and likewise taken to poetry, like a cat to fish, she just fairly gushed over this fraud. She'd reel off a couple of fathom of verses from fellows named Spencer or Walla or such-like, and he'd never turn a hair, but back he'd come and say they was good, but he preferred Confucius or Methuselah or somebody so antique that she nor nobody else ever heard of them oh he run a safe course and he had her in tow afore they turned the first mark jonadab and me got worried we see how things was going and we didn't like it stumpton was having too good a time to notice going after labrador mackerel and so on and peter t was too busy steering the cruises to pay any attention but one afternoon i come by the summer-house unexpected and there sat booth montague and Maudina him with a clove hitch round her waist and she looking up into his eyes like they were peak holes in the fence round paradise that was enough it just simply couldn't go any further so that night me and jonadab had a confab up in my room barzilla says the captain if we tell peter that that relation of his is figuring to marry mordena stumpton for her money and that he's more'n likely to elope with her will pretty nigh kill pete won't it no sir it's up to you and me we've got to figure out some way to get rid of the critter ourselves it's a wonder to me i says that peter puts up with him why don't he order him to clear out and tell bell if he wants to she can't blame peter cause his uncle was father to an outrage like that jonadab looks at me scornful can't hey he says and her high-toned and chummin in with the big bugs it's easy to see you never was married says he well i never was so i shut up we sat there and thought and thought and by and by i commenced to sight an i d in the orphan twas hull down at first but pretty soon i got it into speakin distance and then i broke it gentle to jonadab he grabbed at it like the labrador mackerel grabbed stumpton's hook we set up and planned till pretty nigh three o'clock, and all the next day we put in our spare time loading provisions and water aboard the patient's M. We put grub enough aboard to last a month. Just at daylight, the morning after that, we knocked at the door of Montague's bedroom. When he woke up enough to open the door, it took some time, cause eating and sleeping was his mainstay, we told him that we was planning an early morning fishing trip and if he wanted to go with the folks, he must come down to the landing quick. He promised to hurry, and I stayed by the door to see that he didn't get away. In about ten minutes, we had him in the skiff, rowing off to the patient's end. "'Where's the rest of the crowd?' says he, when he stepped aboard. "'They'll be along when we're ready for them,' says I. "'You go below there, will you, and stow away the coats and things.' So he crawled into the cabin, and I helped Jonadab get up sail. We intended towing the skiff, so I made her fast astern. In half a shake we was under way and headed out of the cove. When the British poet stuck his nose out of the companion, we was abreast the pint. "Ha!" says he, scrambling in the cockpit. What's this mean? I was steering and feeling tolerably happy over the way things had worked out. Nice sailing breeze, ain't it? says I, smiling. Where's my Miss Stumpton? he says, wild-like she's a-, a bed i calculate says i getting her beauty sleep why don't you turn in or are you pretty enough now he looked first at me and then at jonadab and his face turned a little yellower than usual what kind of a game is this he asked brisk where are you going twas jonadab that answered we're bound says he for the bermudas it's a lovely place to spend the winter they tell me he says that poet never made no remarks. He jumped to the stern and caught hold of the skiff's painter. I shoved him out of the way and picked up the boat hook. Jonadab rolled up his shirt sleeves and laid hands on the centerboard stick. I wouldn't if I was you, says the captain. Jonadab weighs pretty close to two hundred, and most of it's gristle. I'm not quite so much, fur's tonnage goes, but I ain't exactly a canary bird montague seemed to size things up in a jiffy he looked at us then at the sail and then at the shore out over the stern done says he done and by a couple of farmers and down he sets on the thwart well we sailed all that day and all that night Of course we didn't really intend to make the bermudas what we intended to do was to cruise around along shore for a couple of weeks Long enough for the Stumptons to go back to Dillaway's, settle the copper business, and break for Montana. Then we was going home again and turned Brown's relation over to him to take care of. We knew Peter'd have some plan thought out by that time. We'd left a note telling him what we'd done and saying that we trusted to him to explain matters to Modena and her dad. We knew that explaining was Peter's main bolt. The poet was pretty chipper for a spell. He sat on the thwart and bragged about what he'd do when he got back to Petey again. He said we couldn't get rid of him so easy. Then he spun yarns about what him and Brown did when they was out west together. They was interesting yarns, but we could see why Peter wa not anxious to introduce Cousin Henry to Belle. Then the patient's M. got out where twas pretty rugged, and she rolled considerable, and after that we didn't hear much more from friend Booth. He was too busy to talk. That night, me and Jonadab took watch and watch. In the morning, it thickened up and looked squally. I got kind of worried. By nine o'clock, there was every sign of a nor'easter, and we see we'd have to put in somewheres and ride it out. So we had it for a place we'll call Baytown, though that wa not the name of it. It's a queer, old-fashioned town, and it's on an island. Maybe you can guess it from that. Well, we run into the harbor and let go anchor. Jonadab crawled into the cabin to get some turbacker, and I was forward coiling the throat halyard. All at once, I heard oars rapping, and I turned my head. What I see made me let out a yell like a siren whistle. There was that everlasting poet in the skiff. You remember we'd been towing it astern, and he was just cutting the painter with his jackknife next minute he'd picked up the oars and was heading for the wharf doubling up and stretching out like a frog swimming and with his curls streaming in the wind like a rooster's tail in a hurricane he had a long start for jonadab and me woke up enough to think of chasing him but we woke up finally and the way we flew round that catboat was a caution i laid into them halyards and i had the mainsail up to the peak before jonadab got the anchor clear of the bottom then i jumped to the tiller and the patient's M took after that skiff like a pup after a tomcat. we run alongside the wharf just as booth hank climbed over the string-piece got after him barzilla hollers captain jonadab i'll make a fast well i hadn't took more'n three steps when i see twas going to be a long chase montague unfurled them thin legs of his and got over the ground something wonderful all you could see was a pile of dust and coattails flapping. Up on the wharf we went and round the corner into a straggly kind of road with old-fashioned houses on both sides of it. Nobody in the yards, nobody at the windows, quiet as could be except that off ahead somewheres there was music playing. That road was a quarter of a mile long, but we galloped through it so fast that the scenery was nothing but a blur booth was gainin' all the time but i stuck to it like a good one we took a short cut through a yard piled over a fence and come out into another road and up at the head of it twas a crowd of folks men and women and children and dogs stop thief i hollers and way astern i heard jonadab bellerin stop thief montague dies head first for the crowd he fell over a baby carriage and i gained attack for he got up one more'n ten yards ahead when i come bustin through upsettin' children and old women and landed in what i guess was the main street of the place and right abreast of a parade that was marchin down the middle of it first there was the band four fellers tootin and bangin like foam-assed hands on a fishing smack in a fog then there was a big darky totin a banner with Jenkins' unparalleled double Uncle Tom's Cabin Company Number 2 on it in big letters. Behind him was a boy leading two great savage-looking dogs, bloodhounds, I found out afterwards, by chains. Then come a pony-cart with little Eva and Eliza Child in it. Eva was all gold hair and beautifulness, and astern of her was Mox the lawyer on his donkey there was lots more behind him but these was all i had time to see just then now there was but one way for booth hank to get across to that street and that was to bust through the procession and as luck would have it the place he picked out to cross was just ahead of the bloodhounds and the first thing i knew them dogs stretched out their noses and took a long sniff and then bust out howling like all possessed the boy he tried to hold em, but twas no go they yanked the chains out of his hands and took after that poet as if he owed him something and every one of the four million other dogs that was in the crowd on the sidewalks fell into line and such howlin and yapping and scamperin and screamin you never heard well twas a mixed-up mess that was the end of the parade Next minute I was racing across country with a whole town and Uncle Thomas astern o me, and a string OF dogs stretched out ahead, fur as you could see way up in the lead was booth Montague and the bloodhounds, and away aft I could hear Jonadab yelling, "Stop, thief!" Twas lively while it lasted, but it didn't last long. There was a little hill at the end of a field, and where the poet dove over to the side of it, the bloodhounds all but had him. For i got to the top of the rise i heard the awfulest pow-wow goin on in the holler and thinks i they're eatin him alive but they wa'n't when i hove in sight montague was settin up on the ground at the foot of the sandbank he'd fell into and two hounds was rollin over him lappin his face and goin on as if he was their grandpa jest home from sea with his wages in his pocket and round them in a double ring was all the town dogs crazy mad and barking and snarling but scared to go any closer in a minute more the folks begun to arrive boys first then girls and men and then the women marks come trotting up pounding the donkey with his umbrella here lion here tige he calls quit it let him alone then he looks at montague and his jaw kind of drops Why, why hank he says a tall lean critter in a black coat and a yeller vest and lavender pants comes puffin up he was the manager we found out afterward have they bit him says he then he done just the same as Mox. his mouth opened and his eyes stuck out hank schmaltz by the livin' jingo says he booth montague looks at the two of em kind of sick and lonesome hello bonnie how are you sullivan he says i thought twas about time for me to get prominent i stepped up and was just going to say something when somebody cups in ahead of me Hum, says a voice a woman's voice and tolerable crisp and vinegary hum, it's you is it i've been looking for you twas little eva in the pony-cart her lovely posy hat was hanging on the back of her neck her gold hair had slipped back so she could see the black under it and her beautiful red cheeks was kind of streaky she looked some older and likewise mad hmm, says she getting out of the cot. it's you is it hank Schmaltz? well perhaps you tell me where you've been for the last two weeks what do you mean by running away and leaving your montague interrupted her hold on maggie hold on he begs don't make a row here it's all a mistake i'll explain it to you all right now please explain hollers eva kind of curling up her fingers and moving towards him explain will you why you miserable low-down but the manager took hold of her arm he'd been looking at the crowd and i calculate he saw that here was the chance for the best kind of an advertisement he whispered in her ear next thing i knew she clasped her hands together let out a scream and runs up and grabs the celebrated british poet round the neck booth says she my husband saved saved and she went all to pieces and cried all over his necktie and then Mox trots up the child and that young one hollers papa papa and tackles hank round the legs and I'm blessed if Montague don't slap his hand to his forehead and toss back his curls and look up at the sky and sing out, My wife and babe restored to me after all these years. The heavens be thanked. Well, twas a sacred sort of time. The town folks tiptoed away, the men looking solemn but glad, and the women swabbing their deadlights and saying how affecting twas, and so on. "'Oh, you could see that show would do business that night "'if it never did afore. "'The manager got after Jonadab and me later on "'and did his best to pump us, but he didn't find out much. "'He told us that Montague belonged to the Uncle Tom's Cabin Company "'and that he'd disappeared a fortnight or so afore "'when they were playing at Hyannis. "'Eva was his wife and the child was their little boy. "'The bloodhounds knew him and that's why they chased him so.' What was you two yelling Stop Thief after him for, says he? Has he stole anything? We says, No. Then why did you want to get him for, he says? Oh, we didn't, says Jonadab. We wanted to get rid of him. We didn't want to see him no more. You could tell that the manager was puzzled, but he laughed. All right, says he. If I know anything about Maggie, that's Mrs. Schmultz, he won't get loose again we only saw montague to talk to but once that day then he peeked out from under the winder shade at the hotel and asked us if we'd told anybody where he'd been when he found we hadn't he was thankful you tell Petey, says he that he's won the whole pot kitty and all i don't think i'll ever visit him again nor bell neither i wouldn't says i they might write to modena that you was a married man "'and old Stumpton's been praying for something alive to shoot at,' I says. "'The manager gave Jonadab and me a couple of tickets, "'and we went to the show that night. "'And when we saw Booth Hank Montague parading around the stage "'and defying the slave hunters "'and telling him he was a free man standing on the Lord's free soil, "'and so on, we realized twould have been a crime to let him do anything else. "'As an imitation poet,' says Jonadab, he was a kind of mildewed article, but as a play actor, well, there may be some that can beat him, but I never see him. End of story four.